0: Welcome to episode 2 of The Women's Wisdom: Our Journey in Emergency Medicine, a production of the Women in Emergency Medicine Committee of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. In this episode, Dr. Adria Anabani interviews Dr. Heatherly Bailey on her journey through emergency medicine.
1: So we're here for the series of podcasts on women leaders in emergency medicine, sponsored by AAM, being recorded at AEM 2019 in Vegas. Today we have the wonderful Dr. Heather Lee Bailey, who is speaking to us about emergency medicine and critical care, which is her favorite thing ever. So tell me a little bit about um, how you got to being president of the Critical Care Society. Um, well, thank you so much for the invitation to be interviewed. And
2: that's a very long story. Which part would you like to know?
1: Maybe start at the beginning. Tell me a little bit how you got interested in critical care medicine in the first place. What's the story behind that? Um, so that actually goes back to my childhood. When I was young, my parents,
2: my mother was a nurse, and my parents were involved in a very serious car accident. And my mother was quite concerned with the lack of knowledge and care that they received by the volunteer first aiders. And when they recovered, my mother vowed that she was going to make a difference. And so she joined our local volunteer first aid squad. And as you might say, the rest was history. My parents both joined and um, how many children grow up in the military and are known as army brats or military brats. I literally grew up in the first aid squad in the back of an ambulance. And so that is where I got my very early introduction into emergency medicine and critical care. And
1: how long did you do that?
2: Um, So I was essentially involved in that from the time that I was six through... My parents were still actively involved until my mother's uh, illness and Parkinson's made her unable to be um, involved, but they would still actually go to the first aid meetings, and that even though they were unable to ride the ambulance, but I would still help teach their first aid courses all throughout um, medical school, residency. In fact, as faculty, I was still
1: their faculty advisor for their EMT courses. That's amazing. Did you ever want to do anything other than be involved in critical care medicine?
2: So when I was very young, horses are my passion, and I always wanted to be a large animal vet, but I quickly realized that my allergies were so bad that that was probably not a good idea, and I really do enjoy caring for patients, and I was really fascinated by trauma and critical care, and so it wasn't that much of a difficult switch, and now
1: it's better. I can have horses on the side and ride and take care of patients. Did anyone ever try and deter you from going into medicine? Um,
2: Certainly not from going into medicine. My parents were always supportive of whatever I wanted to be, be it medicine or something else. But in medical school, certainly my specialty was questioned. I had even some of my deans tell me that emergency medicine was just really triage and that I was too smart for that and I should do something more like a thinking man's medicine, like internal medicine. And I graciously declined. Gracious.
1: Very graciously, I'm sure. And... In the past three weeks, you've been the president of the Society for Critical Care Medicine. How's that been? It's been very exciting, and people have been very gracious and kind. It
2: was literally three weeks today. I gave my presidential address that I was so happy that my family was able to attend and be there for me because they really
1: were such a huge part of me becoming who I am. And tell me about mentorship. Have you had some great mentors along the way? People who've been real supporters, Mm -hmm. amazing cheerleaders? Um, Absolutely. Well, it first started with my parents.
2: As I mentioned before, my parents joined our local volunteer first aid squad. And it was more than that. They truly led by example. My mother was not satisfied with the level of care that was given. So she and my father actually became paramedics. They were some of the first paramedics in the state of New Jersey. My mother was in the first class. My father was in the second. Um, My mother was the first female captain of our first aid squad. She was captain for 13 years. And this was all volunteer, all of their time. And so from a very early age, I saw the importance of making a difference. And so that's what I've, I've tried to do is follow my parents' example. And then I had the good fortune of matching at Medical College of Pennsylvania with some of the true leaders and early leaders of emergency medicine, Dr. David Wagner, Dr. Bob McNamara, Dr. Jim Roberts, all of them whose names are very familiar to all of you. And it,
1: it truly has been a wonderful experience. And tell me about some of your favorite ways to stay sane. How do you keep yourself sane outside of work? Horses.
2: Absolutely horses. Horses. Even a bad day at the barn is better than a good day at work. And it's very clear to me, and I'm sure everybody around me, that if I've been had the chance to go see my horse at the barn, even if it's just to care for him, not even to get to ride, it's a much better day for me because animals keep you grounded. I've had my current horse, Silver, now for 14 years I'd have to do that yes uh, 14 or 15 years and so you know he knows me I know him it's always such a wonderful thing when you call his name and you whistle and he puts his head up and he sees you and he lets out a little whinny and comes galloping towards you so there's there's it's all downhill from there
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes any day on a horse would be better than a bad day at work absolutely Do you think it's harder for female physicians to navigate mentors and support compared to male physicians who are up and coming? Did you experience any of that along the way? So I think it's certainly more challenging in many ways
2: for women to navigate medicine. I think mentorship can be challenging, especially in the the. Face of the Me Too movement right now. I know there is a little bit of a backlash that men are actually a little concerned about taking on women mentees because of the concern of, of Me Too. So that may be an unfortunate side that we didn't realize. Because one of my many of my mentors in medicine have been men, and I've been very
1: grateful and appreciative that they have been there to support me. Do you have any advice for younger? female EM physicians who are starting out? Anything that you would tell them that you think would help them along their career path? I I think you have to be true to yourself. You need to decide what's important to you
2: and stick to your guns and your values because if you don't value yourself, nobody else will. And you, you just need to decide how you want to be, because it is a very difficult line to walk, especially both in academics and community, the line of being authoritative and not the witch with a capital B. And many times you will be known as the witch with a capital B just because you're trying to do the right thing for your patients. And, and
1: you have to be able to, unfortunately, still deal with that bias. Right, we talked about this a little bit earlier, how there's this dichotomy, especially for female emergency medicine physicians, where you really do have to be very much in charge of the room, especially when you have critical patients sort of high-pressure, high-stakes environment where you absolutely have to be in charge. And yet our society, I think, sometimes is not really ready for women to be in charge of high-pressure, high-stakes situations when people's lives are at stake. And so I think it doesn't come quite as naturally to our society as certainly I wish it did or probably you wish it did. Um, And I think that makes it especially difficult to succeed in emergency medicine as a woman. Thoughts?
2: I know I absolutely agree. It, it's so important that you give off the persona of calm and steadiness, whether you are or are not inside. You, you need to be able to, it's, it's okay to be emotional to a point. You can have, be empathetic. You can be sympathetic. I certainly hold patients' hands. I've certainly cried with patients and their families. But when you're in the trauma bay and you need to be in charge yelling in general gets you nowhere calm presence making sure that your voice is heard because the
1: second you lose your cool everything is lost did you ever find yourself saying as a female doc i know i can because you don't think i can
2: oh absolutely but it's not just being a female doc it's being a blonde female (laughs) actually all of my life i look a little bit like barbie for better or worse, and um, it's in some ways better to be underestimated and then just go forward and show them what you can do. You just have to have faith in yourself, and I think that's the most important thing is you have been well-trained, you are a good emergency physician, you know what you need to do. You just need to go forward and do it and respect yourself.
1: I think that there's this perception that if you've already made it as a successful female physician, that the gender bias headwind just sort of disappears. Is that true in any way? I wish it was. I think that
2: um, it perhaps changes as you go along. You get to a certain point, and perhaps it's because of the timing and the amount of time that you've dealt with issues like this. You don't notice it perhaps as much because it's just always been there in the background, so perhaps I think the perception may be that it's a little less, but I honestly think that in many places, not just in medicine, that the the bias is still there.
1: Do you have any great tools for organization and communication that you can share with us, ways that you help keep your very, very busy life organized? So I'm old school. I like pen and paper.
2: And while I do have my phone, that is an iPhone whatever, and it has things on there, I have a both a handwritten calendar and then a wipe-off calendar in my kitchen that has all of my husband's schedule, my schedule, the dog's schedule, the horse's schedule, everybody's schedule is on that calendar so that I know where I need to be. And then I have my handwritten calendar because every so often one's phone goes on the fritz and your calendar gets wiped out. I've had that on more than one occasion. But I find that by having it written down and I can just look at it quickly quickly, it helps keep me organized so that I don't miss, at least hopefully,
1: many things. Do you think that emergency medicine or medicine as a whole has changed and improved with its, in respect to its attitude towards female physicians just in the time that you've been practicing? Oh, oh I think so. I mean, I think we are so—the
2: difference between now and when I started, I, I, I do think there's a significant difference. Do I think that we're where we need to be? I don't think so because there are many areas of the country— both in academics and the community that are still, I think, challenged and threatened by women who have opinions and are just trying to be themselves and do the right thing. But I think compared to you know, 25 years ago where it was not uncommon to be called honey and sweetie and other such terms by fellow physicians, residents, attendings, to now, I don't think that would occur now.
1: How do you deal with that when it happens to you now, if it ever does happen to you still? So in
2: general, it it tends to be more patience now. And I just smile and I say, I'm not your sweetie, I'm your doctor. (laughs) And a smile and a little bit of humor actually go a very long way to helping diffuse a situation because sometimes patients especially don't realize what they're doing. I would say, especially some of our older patients, that's just how they have always been. And so you just be polite. Be polite is key. It's so important not to, as I said before, lose your cool, but also kill them with kindness. Smile a lot. You can be certainly stern, but if you are always polite and professional, it will go a long way to maintaining
1: your credibility. I can't imagine you not being polite and professional. Is there a side of you that's not polite and professional? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think for those
2: who know me, there are certainly moments I try and not have them too much in the public, but absolutely, I think we all have that side. It's just how tightly you're able to keep it in control in public, and I've had a lot of practice.
1: Do you think that being a practicing EM physician has allowed you to develop as a human being in ways that other professions would not have? Well, so that's an interesting question.
2: I mean, I think one of the things that we do as emergency medicine is that we are able to size up a situation with very little knowledge and very little time and in general make the right decision of what needs to be done. So I think that helps make you as an individual a more critical thinker with little information. Sometimes we can obviously go down the garden path in the wrong direction, but I do think it helps provide a sense of purpose. We see people on their worst day we can make a difference, and I think that's one of the things that makes me want to come into work every day is that I have the ability to make a difference in someone's life, and making that little bit of difference certainly helps give me some personal satisfaction for all the things that we went through to get to where I am.
1: What's one of the most gratifying experiences you ever had as an ER doctor or as a critical care ER doctor? So I think Having trained at MCP, one of the
2: main themes was being able to take care of anybody, anytime, anywhere. And I think that knowledge has been so helpful. Many times, you know, I've been, you know, in the grocery store or on an airplane or um, out riding with friends when someone's gone off. And I've been able to do all kinds of things, relocate joints in the field, help someone on an airplane who's having an M.I., do those kinds of things just in everyday life, I think has really, again, it goes back to being an emergency physician and helping someone have a better day when their day is clearly not going well. And I think that there are just many little things along the way, you know, making someone feel better, explaining something to a patient who didn't understand what their doctor's been telling them all along, explaining to families, even though it's difficult, that, you know, when the oncologist, even though they have stage four cancer, hasn't explained to them that there's not much longer left, being able to sit and talk with families and patients and explaining where they are and and allowing them to understand their disease process. I mean, there are so many things that are such a a good part of what we do and really are a gratifying part of being an emergency medicine
1: physician. I don't know that I have one specific case that I could come up with. So you're the first emergency medicine physician who's the president for the Society for Critical Care Medicine, and you just happen to be a female emergency medicine physician. So there's a couple firsts there. First EM physician who's the president of the society, first female EM physician who's the president of the society. Tell me a little bit about your mom. She sounds like an amazing woman. What did you witness when you were a kid? Growing up, you told me that she was a nurse, uh, that there were a couple of obstacles that she had to overcome just due to the fact that she was a female. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how that might have changed your perspective and driven you? Oh,
2: yeah. So my mom was definitely atypical for her generation. She was the first in her family of her generation to go on after high school instead of just getting married. She went to nursing school and she was in New York City. And when they finished nursing school, she and three of her friends took their nursing licenses and drove cross-country to California. And this was in the mid-50s. And so they showed up in a hospital in Santa Barbara, actually, and walked in with their nursing licenses and all worked the 3 to 11 shift so that they, they could work 3 to 11, go out and celebrate the evening go home, sleep for a couple hours, go to the beach in the morning, and then go back to work. So my mother had a very interesting early life where she met many of the B-list actors, used to ride their horses. My mother was horse crazy as well, which is where I'm sure that I got it from. And then, you know, didn't get married till she was in her 30s, and then had my myself and then my younger brother. And But she always was a true leader and pioneer for women, you know, both from being... Uh, going and working in the first ICUs in the country in California to joining our local first aid squad and having to fight, I remember, to become captain because she was female. And I think that that had a tremendous impact on me that I didn't necessarily appreciate, honestly, until I was writing
1: my presidential address for three weeks ago. She sounds like an incredible woman. She was. Do you feel like some of your drive for getting... Um, as far as you've gotten in your career, is maybe due to having witnessed some of the hurdles that your mom had to overcome when you were younger? I think
2: a lot of that is true because my mother was never one to take no when she was told no, and I've kind of followed in that philosophy. And I think that's an important thing is that if you have some kind of crazy idea, you know, when I was in residency and finished residency, emergency medicine critical care did not exist. And many people outside of MCP thought that that was a crazy thing, and why should we be pursuing that? And it's a long and steady haul. You know, this is a tortoise in the hare, one step forward, five steps back. But in the end, we've created a new subspecialty of emergency medicine, emergency medicine critical care. Myself and many of my colleagues who were early EM intensivists, we now have the ability Through emergency medicine, you now have the ability to become a fellow through four pathways for adult critical care. Surgical, anesthesia, internal medicine, and neurologic. So we've gone from having no options to having more options than anybody.
1: She sounds like an incredible lady. I can't believe she must have been at Cottage Hospital.
2: I I don't know. I honestly don't know because, you know, and I never... I don't remember what hospital, but it was, I really it was in Santa
1: Barbara. Kind of the name of the game, unless there was a small Catholic hospital called St. Francis, which is gone now. But it was very small. But really, sort of the name of the game back in what must have been maybe the early '60s.
2: So it was the 50s, '50s. She was there. '50s. It was. Would she have been was there in the hospital. '50s, and um, yeah, know she worked in. The, she worked, you know, with iron lungs mm-hmm. and some of the early dialysis machines, and wow, yeah, and just this big open ward. How long was she there? Just for a year. Mm. And then her then her mother told her she needed to come. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's hysterically funny.
2: So, but yeah. So, but yeah. No, they, she lived
1: in Southern California for a year and mm. completely different than where was she? Where did she go? Staten Island. It's a whole different universe than Staten Island. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. I was born in Cottage Hospital, and then my dad was oh, wow. attending at Cottage Hospital, and his office was across the street. And yeah, wow, that's kind of that it's funny. See, we're we're connected. All <laughs> dovetails. That's amazing. Hmm. Yeah, Santa Barbara would be night and day from Staten Island. Mm-hmm. Where did you go to medical school? So I went to
2: UMDNJ Newark. Okay. It's now called Rutgers. Right. Every names uh, are always changing. So uh, I'm not really a doctor, right? Because my medical school doesn't exist because it's now Rutgers oh, okay and MCP while it's now Drexel the, the physical building is padlocked up on the hill
1: oh okay yeah. all right so yeah it happens a lot with old my buildings. my diplomas you can't get them anymore <laughs> <laughs> right That's, which I'm sure is hard to explain to people yeah
0: hmm.
1: fascinating yeah. is there something you wanted to tell us about in the podcast that I didn't ask you about
2: so I think I alluded to it a little bit before I think one of the important things is that I didn't set out to be a leader. In EM and critical care. It just kind of happened because part of it was I learned to say yes. And it's important to say yes in things that you feel important about and things that you value and something that you want to help change and make better. So don't say yes just to say yes because you think it's going to be good on your CV. The only way to make a difference is to say yes and improve something that's important to you. And the care of patients, you know, from what I learned from my parents, is if you see something that you can make better, you should do it. And that is that's kind of what I've held to all along. When I joined SCCM, you know, more than twenty years ago, I said yes because it was an organization that was important to me. It's the only multi-professional groups, so there's nurses, there's physicians, physicians of all specialties, and even though emergency medicine critical care didn't exist when I joined, they were welcoming. They may have thought I was a little odd, but they were welcoming, and they said, that's fine, you're welcome to come and participate, and we're happy to hear your ideas. There's respiratory therapists, there's veterinarians in this group, there's um, pharmacists, so it's really a true collective nature of like-minded individuals who focus on the care of the critically ill and injured. And so I've spent the majority of my career working on uh, how to benefit patients who are critically ill and injured. And I think that you need to find whatever is important to you and pursue that, be it critical care, be it just emergency medicine in general, be it EMS, whatever subspecialty you're interested in, the way to have a satisfying career and a healthy and balanced life is to make sure
1: that you do what's important to you and stay true to yourself. Could you ever imagine being anything other than a critical care EM physician? Um, without being independently wealthy? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're independently wealthy? Um,
2: I would travel and ride my horses. And, um, but I do love emergency medicine, and honestly, all joking aside, I cannot imagine doing anything other than what I'm doing, I, I, people ask me, oh, well, what about this, that, or the other thing? And emergency, there is nothing like emergency medicine. You see many of the same things every day, but there's always something different and always a little twist. And as I said before, the ability to make a difference in someone's life who you don't even know,
1: I think, is such a powerful thing. Thank you very much for talking with us today, Dr. Heather Lee Bailey. It has been fantastic to get to know you a little bit better as a human being and as an ER doctor. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and giving us your time and telling us about your experiences and the things that are important to you. It's been really phenomenal. Thank you for the kind invitation. It's, it's been a pleasure to talk with you and thank you
2: to both the women's group and AAEM.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. For more information about AAEM, visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website under Resources and then Publications. Join us again next episode for a new journey through emergency medicine.